I'd go as far as saying is I believe that there isn't a problem, challenge, or obstacle in the world that cannot be solved or significantly impacted from knowing exactly what to say, when to say, and how to make it count, knowing the power of the right words at the right time. I, I believe it's the answer to every question. Please welcome to the stage, Phil Jones. International speaker, Phil M. Jones. Phil Jones. So people will step into high stakes conversational moments and they are thinking about what they're going to say whilst they're saying it, whilst they're thinking about the thing they just said. So the result of which is we applaud people that say, oh, they don't need to prepare. They're just naturally gifted at these things. And it isn't true. It's actually highly irresponsible. What we're looking to do in conversation is not manipulate anybody, but influence them. The goal is to get to a position of empathy. A simple one that everybody in the commercial world can look at is a four-letter C word. And it's a four-letter C word that I encourage you to remove from your vocabulary. I'm sure you can all think of a few four-letter C words you should remove from your vocabulary, but the one in question is... Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Happy Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew. Now, so many of you are listening in for the first time in recent weeks, which is great to see. So many new downloads and subscribers, and it's fantastic. It's very encouraging, and you're all clearly itching to learn how you can improve your lives in the health and wellness space. Well, that's what we're all about here, Mondays and Thursdays. Health, well-being, self-improvement, motivation, and inspiration. And uh, if you've not already subscribed, please do so. Join the legions of people who have done so to date. And if you're getting value from tuning in, from all the education that we're exposing you to here on this podcast, well then please leave us a positive review, be it three, four, or five stars, if you believe that uh, we have earned it. Now, talking of inspiration and inspiring people, I think you're going to be quite impressed by my interviewee today. His name is Phil M. Jones. He is the author of the best-selling book, Exactly What to Say, and he's an international speaker who has spoken to, get this, over 2 million people at over 3,000 speaking engagements down through the years. And he's still a relatively young man. He's an expert in how to communicate, be it in a personal or professional context. Lots and lots of value in this conversation today. And in this episode, we hear why words, something that we use all the time, are quite so powerful. I ask if we really understand the significance of the words we use and how they can influence and impact people around us, regardless of the context. Expect to learn the one mistake most people make when they are speaking with others. Phil tells us some of the phrases he suggests we incorporate into our language to maximise our influence. We discover why empathy is so important when engaging with others you're seeking to influence. And we learn how to get more yeses in response to requests. And we hear about the difference between trying to manipulate someone and trying to influence them. Phil really is a master speaker. Every word he utters is loaded with meaning and commands attention. You'll be watching your P's and Q's after this conversation, I promise you. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Author of Exactly What to Say and international speaker Phil M. Jones. A pleasure to have you here. On your website is a banner with the words, Exchange Your Words, Change Your World. I'm reminded of that great uh, Brian Tracy quote, about communication that once you learn that skill, it affects every aspect of your life. 
positively. How can something as simple as the words we use be so impactful, do you think? Well, think about it quite literally in your own world is how many times have you been made to feel happy, sad, upset, frustrated, elated, proud, all as a result of which came from what somebody else said to you. The impact that words have had in our life have created many of the most impactful moments that have then gone on to be achieved. And when you think about great sporting achievements, they're often catalyzed by great speeches, great one-on-one conversations, great whispers in the ear of somebody to be able to unlock levels of peak performance. I'd go as far as saying is I believe that there isn't a problem, challenge, or obstacle in the world that cannot be solved or significantly impacted from knowing exactly what to say, when to say, and how to make it count, knowing the power of the right words at the right time. I, I believe it's the answer to every question. With that in mind then, why is it that, that so many people get their communicating wrong? Why do we undervalue and underappreciate the value and the weight of our words? I don't even know if we do underappreciate. I believe we underprepare is what actually happens. And science teaches you that you cannot write, perform, and edit at the same time, just like you cannot read, watch, and listen at the same time. Yet we find ourselves in life on a regular basis, many humans trying to write, perform, and edit at the exact same time, or read, watch, or listen at the exact same time. You can't do those three functions at once. So people step into high-stakes conversational moments, and they are thinking about what they're going to say whilst they're saying it, whilst they're thinking about the thing they just said. So the result of which is that they lack confidence. Now, society has actually allowed people to lack confidence with things like... Well, I get nervous speaking in front of rooms full of people, or I'm fearful of rejection, or I'm concerned about how the other person might judge me, are all validated excuses as to why we can have incompetence in these areas. We can use nerves or lack of confidence. Yeah, in truth, it's just lack of preparedness. Nobody's taken the time to sit somebody down and say, there are skills, there are processes, there are principles that you can learn in this arena, that if you learn in this arena... You could operate better in life as a leader, as a human, as a lover, as a partner, as a friend, if you understand the importance of conversation. Well, you alluded to your mantra there, which I have to say I love, and I hadn't heard it until I I was on your website and looked at some of your videos. If I can just uh, tell listeners, the viewers, the worst time to think about what you're going to say is the moment you're saying it. And this is why I prep my questions and I have them in front of me here. And it really does come down to confidence. And not doing it, it, is it not doing it a, a sign of a shortcut or procrastination or just... I think laziness is quite often we think that we need to be present, we need to be in the moment. We applaud things like he or she has the gift of the gab, or he or she is so quick-witted, is that they, uh, you know, they've got a silver tongue. And we, we applaud people's ability to wing it. We applaud people that say, oh, they don't need to prepare. They're just naturally gifted at these things. And it isn't true. It's actually highly irresponsible. If you're stepping into known moments, known conversations that are intentional for you, and it could be known as simple as I'm re-entering the home following a trip. It could be known as I've got a 30-minute podcast interview with Phil Jones. It could be known as in my customers always ask me blank. I should be better prepared with a response for it. If you're needing to make it up on the spot, then what you aren't is present. Because you're trying to write 
whilst you should be present. You're trying to think about the thing you're going to say whilst you're saying it, which means you are therefore not in the moment you are trying to serve. And mastery of conversation is about serving the moment. And people often talk about scripts and how scripts are potentially a bad thing. Yeah, we've all seen movies and cried. We've all seen movies and laughed. We've all seen movies that have moved us to every possible emotional state. And it was just an actor performing a script. No, I say they were performing a script, not reading, performing in character as someone else. Why? Because the words matter. And many of the best moments that happened in movie and TV happened when an actor decided to go off script. They didn't wing it. They went off script. They understood the script. They understood the moment. They understood the intent of the writer, producer, director, made a conscious decision using their skill and experience and says, I'm going to try something different because I think it might work better. That is an intentional choice. That is not an accident winging it it, or, or seeing what might work out. And I believe we can all live life that way. Better prepared for the known moments so we can show up for that moment with more intent. We can use our skill and ingenuity of reading that moment to then improvise where that improvisation is believed to get a better outcome. It's interesting that uh, subject matter of coming back and living in the present moment seems to revisit this podcast again and again and again. I'm always talking about self-improvement, but uh, even when it comes to conversation, living in the moment, uh, you get uh, more value out of the conversation and the interaction that you're engaging in. So true. Um, Can I come to words again? You mentioned words there and words are are peppered throughout your book. Let me give the title again, Exactly What to Say. You detail magic words throughout the course of this book, uh, words that readers can use to impact uh, their daily conversations. Can I look at just some of the words and phrases that you use uh, throughout that book? Uh, There's one, if I can, will you? Now, can you tell me how you would use this in a conversation and why it is so impactful? Quite often you find yourself on the back foot in many of life's moments. And that could be as simple as somebody saying, like, I love what you're about. Yeah, the guy down the street is going to do it for less. It could be as simple as you want to, um, you're being asked to go do some household chores around the house and You want to be able to create a conditional trade in that scenario. If I can, will you, puts you back in the position of some element of control. It's the person who's asking the questions that controls the conversation. So if you're purely in answer mode, you're always on the back foot. You're feeling pressured and you're feeling pushed. If I can, will you, puts you back in a situation that says that there is a compromise to be made here in some description. So if you're a thousand... And the guy down the street's charging 800 and they say this, that I love everything that you do, but the guy down the street's charging 800. You say, if I can do this for 800, then will you give me the business? What you've just done is you've just firstly regained control of the conversation. More importantly, what you've just done is you found out if all things are equal, would the other person rather choose you? Now, if the answer to that question is yes, that must mean that all things aren't equal. So if I said, if I can do it for 800, but then would you rather give me the business? And they said, yeah, sure. I say, great. What is it about us that makes you think that we're a better fit for your unique circumstances? And they tell you. What I can then do is I can say, and you don't see that being worth just an extra 200? See, what we can do is we can bring it back into the other direction. The same would be true is, 
when somebody says, hey, I'd love you to do these jobs, et cetera, around the house for us over the weekend. I say, if I do those jobs for you over the weekend, then will you arrange for us to be able to go out for dinner at some point next week? What I can do is I can create some form of compromise that says I'm happy, but there are conditions to this happiness. There is movement to happen on both sides for us to be able to understand the truth of the scenario. Often a useful tool when you feel like you're being backed into a corner, being asked to accept terms that don't feel fully fair. I really like that, the, the notion of compromise. Can we talk about simple swaps? This is another concept in the book. Again, yeah. could you give me an example of this and then how is it then so influential? Well, let's blow up bigger than the book for a second. And, and simple swaps are a belief system that we have inside our entire ecosystem and exactly what to say with all of our certified guides, with every piece of content. And the belief that we have is that every word that leaves your mouth, your pen, your keyboard is either helping or hurting. It's either helping or hurting. Nothing is neutral. The math has to add up in the favor. So when you say something, it must be helping your case or destroying your case. Nothing is neutral. With that being said, you should start looking for the sabotaging words that exist inside your life. An example of a simple swap would be is this could be a video interview or it could be a podcast. Isn't it interesting that the word podcast has more gravitas, more equitable favor in this current moment in time than a video interview? Huh, interesting. Simple swap in language. But let's look at how things show up in your day-to-day -day life. How many times have you called something a problem to somebody else? When you say the problem I see with your idea is, what you do is you naturally create friction. If I say something is a problem, I'm labeling it as bad news, I'm labeling it as your bad news, and I'm labeling it as the fact that you are an idiot. If I swap the word problem to the word challenge, now this isn't head to head, this is side by side, something we can overcome together. If I say the problem with your idea is you want to defend your idea, I say if the challenge with that idea is, huh, what I do, I just swap the all for the word that. I swap the word problem for the word challenge. Now we're inclusive. Now we're traveling in the same direction. A simple one that everybody in the commercial world can look at is a four-letter C word. And it's a four-letter C word that I'd encourage you to remove from your vocabulary. I'm sure you can all think of a few four-letter C words you should remove from your vocabulary. But the one in question is the word cost. How do you feel about the cost in your life? If you're saying it cost me, you're saying it hurt me. Often customers will say, how much does it cost for blank? And you give them an answer. So you're telling them how painful it would be. If somebody gives you money and you give them something back, chances are that is delivering returns. Now, if it delivers returns, that must be an investment. So you could talk about the investment in our services or as little as blank, and that should deliver you blank. Swap the word cost for investment and watch how much easier it is for people to spend money. If somebody had something that cost them a thousand today, today was a bad day. If somebody invested a thousand today, today was a good day. Same money, different packaging, different labeling, swapping the words. Further, very quick example on this. And I find this fabulous in 2024 that people still ask this question. They ask questions like, do you have an email address? I don't meet anybody that doesn't have an email address in 2024 like even 86 year olds in the hearing care industry need an email address to access their online banking like almost the whole world has an email address but when i say do you have an email address little voice kicks up and says what are you going to do with it whereas if i just said what's your email address reflex comes straight out of the mouth 
what I'm asking people to consider is look for the common language that leaves your mouth, your pen, your keyboard. Ask yourself, is it helping or hurting? And set yourself a challenge that says every single day, can you find a simple swap in your world that you can turn something that's sabotaging into something that is building and growing and helping to predict the future you're looking for? I love it. And it's so, so simple as well. Um, in a former life, I worked in uh, retail sales and uh, we were taught about the value of the yes set when uh, asking questions of customers in order to elicit a series of yes responses such that uh, we could uh, close a deal more easily. Uh, with that in mind, <laughs> with that in mind, uh, <laughs> what uh, what advice would you have? Would you have for people who wanted to, to elicit uh, yeses more often, be it personally or professionally? Um, uh, there's a lot of science and data that's been put out to to debunk the whole let's get a rhythm of yeses to get somebody to a bigger of yes when used skillfully it is still a practical applicable tool but it can feel like a manipulative tool when not used skillfully which is the mistake that can come from it what we're looking to do in conversation is not manipulate anybody but influence them this is about helping the other person get to an outcome that is most beneficial to them which means it's not something you do to them it's something you do for them leading a conversation it's helping create an outcome that has mutual benefit just like modern day leadership is about helping employees and your teams to be able to achieve more for themselves that's how you win modern day influence is about helping the other person reach outcomes they wouldn't have been able to reach on their own so i don't know whether it's about getting to yes i think it's more about avoiding the enemy to decision making which isn't no the enemy to decision making is maybe indecision is the enemy I mean, listening right now, how many times did you almost potentially possibly do something that if you did do that thing, your life would be significantly better? When was the last time that you procrastinated on something too long that the opportunity now no longer is an opportunity? So what we're looking at being able to do is to help people find moments of clarity. If the goal is to get somebody to yes, what you have to get them to realize is definitely not no. Right? So we're about destroying the option of no to get to yes. That's what we're really looking to be able to do. So how do you do that with things like words is you're asking the other person to give me context around their world. Simple prefaces like help me understand. Help me understand what you're looking to try and achieve here. How often might you find yourself? If you didn't, then what would the consequences be? You see those three simple prefaces stacked up together allow somebody to go, huh, well, I know why I want to do it. I know what happens if I don't do it. I know how often this is going to be a recurring tool in my life. Look, it is simple as, shall I buy the $1,000 item of clothing? What do we do with this is, well, help me understand when you think you're going to wear it and why you think that might be the right thing for you to be able to purchase. Okay. Let it go, right? Well, what would be the consequences of you not buying that and needing to use something that's already in your closet or your wardrobe? Well, well I haven't got anything that's going to do work. I'd be embarrassed. I wouldn't feel confident. I wouldn't do this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, okay. And how often might you wear it again in the future past this point if you were to buy this dress? Well, I think I'd wear it at least then and then and then and then and then. So you'd wear it at least seven times. Got it. So what do you feel might be the right thing to do? Well, I think I should buy it. 
I don't disagree with you. You see how much more empowering that is than trying to convince somebody into buying a dress. It's to help them make the decision for themselves. You make it uh, you make it sound so simple, uh, but uh, I'm sure with practice, certainly it would come become. This more is my life's work, <laughs> and the the game is to understand that you're not trying to achieve your outcome in one move. The other quote-unquote trick here is to enter the conversation neutral. So in that scenario of helping somebody decide whether they should or shouldn't buy a $1,000 dress, I don't mind whether they do or they don't. I mind if they make the wrong decision. So I'm showing up to help the person make the decision that is right for them. I'm not biased towards either outcome. I'm biased towards them achieving an outcome that they feel that they have clarity around. That's the magic. Is can you be prepared to help somebody navigate a decision for long enough without projecting your own bias on it? That's influence. So no agenda then? No agenda other than helping them make their mind up. Can I ask you something that I've seen you talk about in several of your speeches? Show me, you know me button. Can you tell me about the significance of this and, and then how that helps to improve your engagement with somebody? Well, historically, people talk about things like winning the argument, winning the client, winning the sale, winning the business. If you are the winner, the other person by default must be the loser. This is the paradox which I think creates too many people running from this kind of work, is they don't want to feel like they got the upper hand leaving somebody in a situation that they feel disappointed about. So what we're not looking to be able to do is to create us versus them conversations. We're looking to create us versus it conversations. So me and you versus it. This isn't you and I in an argument to say who's the smartest in today's podcast. This is you and I in a conversation to say, can we create something useful for our listeners that has mutual benefit for them, for you and for I, right? Like this is a group of winners because we are focused on it, not trying to be able to win the game. So with that being said, how does this relate to the show me that you know me button? Is the goal is to get to a position of empathy. And the best definition I hear for empathy comes from a speaker friend of mine by the name of John Acuff. And John Acuff defines empathy as to care about what the people you care about care about. That's when you hit the show me that you know me button. And if you try to sell somebody on your solution, they'll work to say they don't have the problem. If you show somebody you understand their problem, they'll trust you to help them find a solution. So the show me that you know me button is about getting to a point of the fact that we can be side by side looking at the same thing. I'll give an example where I realize that I need to work on this. I am a father, or a father of four girls. My oldest daughter is 16 years of age. There have been many moments with my older daughter where I've stepped into what I call the advice monster moment, right? She needs some help. I got answers. I'm a smart guy. Let me tell you what you need to do. Because when I was in your shoes here, Hang on. I have never been a 16-year-old girl in my life. 
I have never been a 16-year-old girl in 2024 in my life. I got nothing. And that realization that we step into moments that we don't know enough before we start giving advice is really quite humbling and empowering. If I can take the time to understand the context of the other person, so I can perhaps see the world through their eyes, even enough to realize I don't know enough, then any angle, perception, possible, valuable insights could then be received as advice. You cannot give advice. People can receive advice. You can give insights. So if you give insights based on you having an understanding of their world and you get to a position of relatable before you do that, your insights can then perhaps be received as advice. Long answer, but I hope that provides some clarity on it. Absolutely. I'm I'm really struck by the attention to detail and the level of analysis that you go to. It's, it is scientific in that you're drilling down mm-hmm. and uh, on each individual word and how it's presented and then the emotion then that's associated then with right. how you present, particularly in this context in relation to your, your teenage daughter. It's extraordinary. I, I presume that in that case, given your experience as a speaker and uh, and your your knowledge of, of the spoken word, then that your house is a harmonious one given you have four daughters. No, no. And as a podcast, I am shaking my head if you're wondering what the pause was. is is. <laughs> I mean, we all live in builders' houses in some ways, right? Is what we do in our professional life and how that shows up every day in our personal life is um, is not necessarily like a perfect mirror. What I would say, though, is the skills I've developed have allowed us to de-escalate difficult conversations more effectively, um, allow us to have bigger and deeper conversations around the kind of life that we'd like to build long-term. They've created frames that have allowed us to go to places in conversation that otherwise would have been avoided or run from or um, created dispute. And human interaction by its very nature is clunky. You can be a world-class soccer player. It doesn't mean every time you touch the ball, magic happens. And the acceptance that says there is no perfect, it is a mess, mistakes happen, we are managing the emotions of human beings, is an important part of acceptance that says if you want to be a skilled communicator, it doesn't mean you're always going to communicate perfectly. It means that when things don't go perfect, that you still have tools in your toolkit to be able to make progress or repair. You have been a... Speaker, public speaker, essentially, since you were 18. I know you started uh, professionally at 18 in, I think it was sales at that point. And uh, you've spoken at something like 3,000 different uh, public events uh, to over 2 million people over the last uh, couple of decades. Obviously, public speaking to you is something that comes naturally at this stage. It's like breathing. Public speaking is something that fills people with fear. So given your experience, what advice would you have for people in order to help them dissipate that fear? Um, I firstly wouldn't say that it comes naturally to me. It is something that I have worked at progressively from a very early age and continue to work at progressively today. 
is I delivered a keynote virtually this morning ahead of this conversation. Was I nervous? Heck yes. Is my preparation in my notes still in front of me right now? Did I deliver something very similar to what I've done before? Yes. Did I still play by play that exact 60 minute presentation and put reps and rehearsal in to be able to get ready for it? Yes. The reason that I get nervous is because I care. And in getting nervous, I get prepared. And then in getting prepared, it allows me to be able to show up for that moment more effectively. I think what people often miss about public presentations and particularly professional public presentations is where the spotlight is shining. If I deliver a presentation to 3,500 people and it's 60 minutes long, that is not a 60 minute presentation. That is the responsibility to 3,500 individual hours. I'm responsible for 3,500 hours of productivity at that given moment in time. So I'm nervous about not making my speech great. I'm nervous about making their time worth it. Changing the stakes. Delivering upon a promise that is bigger than self. The way that you get better at these things is reps. It is also putting yourself in environments where you're prepared to suck. I mean, be pretty darn terrible at times. But be terrible in time with the music. I see what happens right now in the professional speaking places. Some people get their shot, they get their shot too early. They take their shot and they do fine. They show up with a solid 5.6 out of 10 at a level that was higher than they were ready for and they destroy a career as a result of which. What's interesting about my professional speaking career is my first paid events had 8, 10, 12 people in them paying 85 pounds a head. I'd spoke 80, 100, 200 times prior to inviting people to come to a one-day workshop at 85 pounds a head. I'd speak for free to be able to sell that one-day workshop. You have to be able to operate at every level if you want to be able to feel confident at that level. And you're talking about confidence in professional speaking and confidence in public speaking. Confidence cannot exist without experience. If confidence exists without experience, that is called arrogance. The highest level of confidence is... I've been in a situation like this so many times before, I have high levels of certainty to how this is going to work out. That's where confidence comes from. I've been in a situation like this so many times before, I have high levels of certainty as to how this is going to play out. Confidence is built on anything other than that. It's hopeful ambition at best, arrogance at worst. Do the reps to create certainty if you'd like to be able to create confidence. And if you care about something for long enough, care about it for long enough to be okay to suck at it until you get better. As a matter of interest, whenever you're giving a public talk to what, four, five, six, seven thousand people, are you in your mind's eye speaking to each individual person? Yes. And remember in those environments, people listen with their eyes, not their ears. And you know, right, I said earlier on that people cannot watch, read and listen at the same time. You watch the number of presentations where somebody is pacing on a stage whilst having words leave their mouth, whilst asking you to read content on a slide. That's why people check out. Can't do those three functions at once. There you can read and listen. So if I want somebody to read a slide, I'm going to read it with them and I'm going to narrate the slide. Guess what? They can read and listen. They can follow. 
they can listen and watch, which means if I'm articulating something by holding two fingers up or I'm making physical gestures on the stage or using the stage as a prop, they can listen and watch what's going on. But they cannot do all three of those functions. So what you start to understand as a professional in an environment is just how much you're responsible for. And it's lifting it beyond your speech, beyond rehearsing your lines or practicing your speech. And back to the point that we talked about earlier, serving the moment, serving the moment. And that moment is 3,500 or 4,000 or 6,000 people's individual hours that they're all going to go away and tell a different narrative and a different story to what happened to them in that hour. And you're responsible for all of them. That's a very different level of responsibility than learning your lines. Such amazing advice and uh, so succinctly and beautifully put. You'd know full well that you've many, many thousands of hours of public speaking under your belt. And Phil, uh, the book is called Exactly What to Say. Where can people go if people want to find out more about you online? Sure. We have a, a plethora of content out there in the world. So you can either search Phil M. Jones and you'll find stuff. You can search exactly what to say and you'll find stuff. We're in all good bookstores with the book. Exactly what to say.com has become a a, a treasure chest of information, articles, and videos about words and how they shift worlds and how they can move minds. So have a poke around on the website. And if you're on social media in any way, come find me on Instagram. I'm at Phil M. Jones UK. Would love to be able to continue the conversation there. Phil, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Happy Habit Podcast. Hopefully you got some value from it. If you've not already subscribed, please do so because it does help spread the word far and wide of the Happy Habit Podcast. And if you're getting value, if you're enjoying listening in, please do leave the podcast a positive rating, be it three, four or even five stars. Until next time, stay happy. Mm-hmm.